You're listening to the Course Report Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Course Report is the most complete resource for coding boot camps. On our site, we have thousands of reviews, hundreds of interviews, and a full directory of every coding boot camp around the world. On our podcast, we're sharing everything you need to stay up to date on this blossoming industry. Whether you're a bootcamp founder or a future student, we hope you'll learn something on the Course Report Podcast. All right, welcome to the May 2022 Coding Bootcamp News Roundup. I'm Liz. And I'm Jess. And we are from the Course Report team, so we spend our days helping students choose the best coding boot camps for them. But each month, we round up all of the most interesting boot camp industry news that we read about and chatted about in our virtual Course Report office, and we share it with you. So Jess, what are we going to be covering today about May news? So we're going to summarize a new report from the U.S. Government Accountability Office, or GAO, about OPMs. We'll hear about one student's story with an ISA, and we're going to share some numbers from 2U slash Trilogy about their outcomes. We're also going to share which school raised $100 million this May, and we'll share news about an apprenticeship training program that's geared towards women. Plus, there's some interesting education trends and, and training trends coming out of MENA, which is Middle East and North Africa. So we will touch on that as well. Yeah. And of course, we're going to tell you about the five new coding boot camps that we added to the course report directory this May. We read about $118 million in fundraisers in the coding bootcamp space this month. So Liz, which program raised $100 million? That would be Master School, which describes itself as a, quote, network of tech career training schools, end quote. Uh, They raised a $100 million seed funding round in May, pretty huge seed funding round. Uh, Master School is almost kind of a Udemy competitor. So instead of enrolling in a traditional class, they select a school, students select a school, which is typically run by an experienced practitioner, and then they follow that school's program. But typically it looks like, you know, you're signing up up for a program that is run by an individual developer or teacher. And the programs themselves are 100% online. Students spend between 25 to 40 hours per week. They're doing live lectures, assignments, one-on-one sessions, class meetings. And notably, master school students don't pay any upfront tuition for the six to 12 months that it takes to complete their program. After they graduate, they pay back their tuition, um, so kind of a typical deferred tuition or ISA program. But they said that that typically ends up being somewhere between $10,000 and $20,000 for tuition. Hmm. It's about 10% of their monthly income that they're paying back. Interesting. The Latin American coding bootcamp Henry landed $10 million in Series A funding this month. Henry is focused on helping Latin Americans pivot into successful tech careers in Latin America. And with this new funding, Henry will be investing in its online platform in order to expand its reach across that continent. And Decrypt announced that Encode Club raised $5 million for their Web3 developer training in a round that was led by Galaxy Digital and Lemniscap. Encode has a range of different Web3 coding bootcamps for different blockchains like Ethereum, Solana, Avalanche, and Algorand. 
And their eight-week programs are pretty competitive, but they are free for anyone who is selected. And like traditional coding boot camps, ENCODE helps participants find work after completion. This is one of the first Web3 boot camps that we've really seen. Another is called Macro, um, which is for existing developers that want to kind of upskill into Web3. But um, a, definitely an interesting trend here. And that funding, they say, will help further develop ENCODE's Web3 boot camps, hackathons, and accelerator programs. Yeah, definitely. And ENCODE, I believe, is in our listing. So if you have been a boot camp student from ENCODE, definitely leave a review for them. Absolutely. Yeah. TechCrunch shared that Minara raised $3 million in pre-seed funding this May. Minara is focused on helping grow the tech talent pool in MENA, as Liz said earlier, so Middle East and North Africa, um, through its online coding bootcamp. And also just a fun fact, Minara was started by two women technologists. So super cool. cool. That's amazing. Yeah. And then uh, we'll talk a little bit more about the rise of the tech industry in the Middle East and North Africa towards the end of this episode as well. Next, we're going to talk about OPMs, which stands for Online Program Managers. We often talk about OPMs on this podcast, and in the bootcamp industry, the best example is Trilogy Education, which manages bootcamp programs at about 100 universities. This May, the U.S. Government Accountability Office put out a report that says over 500 colleges are currently working with OPMs. Higher Ed Dive points out that the big takeaway from this report, which focused on the biggest OPM companies, is the recommendation that the U.S. Department of Education have more oversight on colleges' relationships with OPMs. And this oversight should focus on the financial contracts between colleges and OPMs to make sure that they're meeting federal guidance. Yeah, it's all going to be about oversight over those revenue sharing relationships between colleges and OPMs. Phil mm-hmm. on EdTech points out that the OPMs that this covers will include traditional OPMs like 2U, edX, Pearson, Wiley Academic Partnerships, Guild Education, and Coursera. And then Doug Lederman from Inside Higher Ed points out that the GAO has taken a, quote, moderate stance. I think the general consensus is that there weren't any huge bombshells in this report. But yeah, this is definitely not the end of the story. We'll keep you updated on future guidance and suggestions from the GAO. So Coursera has long been seen as a direct-to-consumer MOOC, but Higher Ed Dive points out that the company has been breaking out of that mold to offer more offerings for colleges, which is sounding a lot like an OPM. Coursera just announced its new Career Training Academy, which institutions like colleges as well as businesses can register for in order to make the training available to their students or their employees. So originally, Coursera was university-created academic content. That's what it had on its platform. But now that Coursera has created its own training program, it's changing its business strategy a bit. So it'll be interesting to see how Coursera changes throughout this year and how it enters kind of this OPM pool. And this month, the folks at Inside Higher Ed also asked the CEO of prominent OPM Noodle, Stephen Green, about how those GAO suggestions might influence their decisions as a company. Green said, quote, The reality is that a trust gap does exist between higher education and for-profit companies. Traditional OPMs will have to solve for that to be truly trusted by higher education. Perhaps the GAO and DOE work over the next couple of years will accelerate the thinking on how to reframe agreements to establish a better alignment. 
However, it is not our place to answer how other companies will rebuild trust with higher education if they even believe there is a trust gap. All that we can do is deliver a model and a contract framework that reflects our motivations and interests and work hard to execute against that in such a way that contributes to trust building. End quote. So nice to hear from a, uh, an OPM CEO there. Mm -hmm. And Gallup published the findings from its recent Gallup slash 2U bootcamp graduate study, which surveyed 3,800 U.S. adults who graduated from a 2U powered bootcamp program between the years of 2016 and 2021. And good outcomes were found. So one year after bootcamp graduation, the median salary for the graduates surveyed was 11K higher than what they reported making the year that they actually graduated. And those grads that were making a career transition from a non-STEM job to a STEM job saw an extra boost in their salary with a median income growth rate of 29%. Um, we'll definitely link to the Gallup study in our May News Roundup so you can check out the full report and all the numbers in there. And Jeffrey Young explores flash sales and other marketing gimmicks at Coursera and Udemy in EdSurge this month, but wonders what this wave of online bargains has meant for perceptions of higher education. You've probably noticed these like 20% off flash sales at Udemy, where classes are already pretty aggressively priced at around $100. Colleges and universities don't offer those coupons or limited time offers for their in-person courses, although as Jeffrey points out, some may argue that Many scholarships are essentially coupons in disguise, but whether those discounts end up being, you know, helpful towards accessibility through lower prices or diminishing quality and how seriously students like take the learning process, especially in those MOOCs or a mix of both is still up for debate. So income share agreements were again in the news this month, but this time it was to show how an ISA can really help students who need a more flexible payment plan in order to launch their new tech career. So Liz, what did we see there? Yeah, just a quick story in Yahoo News this month about John Isom, who turned down an opportunity to go to the University of Utah to study computer science because his older brother introduced him to an online program called Launch School, which pushed him to consider an alternative path into software engineering. So John was drawn in by the school's high average starting salaries for graduates. So he agreed to an ISA that was 16% of his first year salary. And he says, he kind of explains this. He says, quote, it was only for one year's worth of salary. It wasn't like taking a 16% cut every year for five years. So it was much lighter than, you know, kind of a traditional income share agreement. And he says, quote, I have heard those kinds of horror stories where people get kind of trapped in these income share agreements. But um, John has since paid off the ISA, which he said only ended up being about $19,400 and is now into his second job as a software engineer. So yeah, I thought this was nice to just see some real numbers around ISAs instead of those like hypothetical, you know, pay 15% of your salary. You know, this was nice to see. He actually paid $19,400, which isn't crazy. Pretty. um, Yeah. It's in line. Typical, with. especially, yeah, for launch yeah. school, which is about a year long. It's it's not mm-hmm. one of the three-month programs. So um, pretty fair. Well, nearly six months into this year, upskilling and corporate training continue to be a major theme of 2022. Jess, what was the announcement that we saw coming from the White House this May? 
So Axios reports that the Office of Personnel Management within the White House urged federal agencies to update their hiring practices and hire workers based on skills versus college degrees. So shifting to skills-based hiring will open up federal jobs to an overlooked but still qualified pool of candidates. This guidance is really a continuation of the 2020 executive order that we saw from the Trump administration that told agencies to prioritize skills over degrees, which the Biden administration now has extended through um, 2022. Taking the long view on this guidance and the executive order is showing that skills-based hiring has gotten sort of a seal of approval from the federal government. I mean, we are seeing it in the private sector as well, and hopefully it will just continue to grow. An HR dive highlighted the Year Up LinkedIn formal partnership, which is a program to create a talent pipeline through mentorship. First, participants tackle six months of skills building. Then they apply those skills at a six-month-long internship. And commonly, companies offer their Year Up interns full-time positions as those internships end. LinkedIn places their interns in cybersecurity, information technology, data analytics, and engineering teams. And Europe participants are entering web development, sales, and the HR space, namely talent acquisition as well. So through that Europe partnership, interns are taking advantage of, they call it a quote unquote, end day or investment day once a month, where LinkedIn employees dedicate a day to learning and development. So for interns, that day of service provides an opportunity to attend career workshops and networking sessions uh, get their you know, resume reviewed and have their LinkedIn profile audited. Um, that sounds like a really cool, wow, very hands-on partnership. Yeah. Such a cool partnership. Um, with an estimated 2.7 million cybersecurity professionals needed globally, we've seen this number bounced around in quite a few articles this year. And of course, the other side of that 2.7 million is that there's not enough tech talent right now to fill those cybersecurity roles. So there's been a serious rise in people reskilling or upskilling into the cybersecurity field. Wall Street Journal this month took a closer look at if making a career change into cybersecurity is really possible since many of the jobs, at least according to the cybersecurity recruiter and the director from the certification provider, ISACA, both whom the article cites, are actually entry-level roles. So I will say that there is definitely a hefty tone of skepticism in this Wall Street Journal article, um, especially there's at, there's some criticism at 2U powered university boot camps. But the Wall Street Journal does point out that boot camp programs that offer career services and prepare students for certifications are more helpful to career changers. So I would say the main takeaway from this article is that there are a lot of cybersecurity roles out there. They can be difficult for someone who is making the career change, especially from a non-STEM career, to find an entry-level role, or it might take a little bit longer to land that role. But that if you're at a bootcamp program that has plenty of career services and also is helping you get those cybersecurity or networking certifications, you'll really be able to get your foot in the door. Absolutely. And even though there is that skepticism that you're talking about, um, mm -hmm. Jess, I feel like the data that you that you mentioned before that came directly from those, you know, trilogy to mm -hmm. you powered bootcamp graduates is actually sheds a lot of light you totally. know, in light of that skepticism. Right. It's great to hear. 
And CIO highlighted Progressive's in-house IT programmer bootcamp this month, which reskills select non-technical staff for technical roles, filling organizational skills gaps and enhancing retention by investing in employees' careers. So everyone knows retention rates are suffering. There's a persistent skills gap in the IT hiring market. And this is one example of a company that's establishing new ways to retain those employees while also thinking about how to, you know, hire or bring new folks into those technical roles. Stephanie Duca, who is the leadership development consultant at Progressive and also a leader of the Progressive's IT bootcamp program, says that the company saw an opportunity to expand its DNI efforts and to, quote, develop an even broader and more diverse pool of qualified candidates, end quote, for IT apps, a programmer associate roles through that internal upskilling program. And with an internal bootcamp, Progressive could actually fill those roles by investing in its own employees who already have that wealth of knowledge about the organization. And so once a student completes that program, they are guaranteed a new job along with new compensation based on that role. And program graduates get paired with a new department and they get, you know, they're in their new IT team and they get a one-on-one mentor to help them through their first assignments. So it sounds like Progressive has learned a lot from the bootcamp model and uh, is kind of adopting it internally. Very interesting. That's so cool. Um, We also saw some other news about new corporate training programs. Online coding bootcamp, NewCamp, announced that it is now offering corporate training in its new program, NewCamp for Business. And in a recent Higher Ed Dive interview, Udemy's chief learning officer, Melissa Daimler, shared how Udemy is offering its own learning opportunities to its Udemy staff. Daimler says that, quote, anything Udemy shares with its customers, the company is doing as well. And sometimes we get ideas from customers and then implement them internally, end quote. We saw a few announcements about new funding for encouraging women to get into successful tech careers from cybersecurity to AI in May. Jess, let's start with the registered apprenticeship program in the U.S. Yeah, while women make up nearly half of the U.S. labor force, they make up only 13% of participants in registered apprenticeships. The U.S. Department of Labor is trying to change that with a new $3.4 million funding opportunity called the Women in Apprenticeship and Non-Traditional Occupations Grant Program, which aims to attract more women to registered apprenticeship programs in cybersecurity, manufacturing, infrastructure, and healthcare. Registered apprenticeship opportunities can be found at apprenticeship.gov. I took a quick peek at this website yesterday to just see what kind of cybersecurity apprenticeships are available right now. And companies like Verizon and FedEx, plus a bunch of colleges, are offering some really great cybersecurity apprenticeship opportunities. So definitely check it out. Love it. And Breakthrough Tech, which is associated with Cornell Tech, announced a $26 million investment to increase the number of women in artificial intelligence. So Breakthrough Tech AI is a free 18-month program that will be offered to college undergraduate students at Cornell Tech, MIT, and UCLA. The first cohort was piloted in New York last summer, hosted by Cornell, and included 40 women, more than half of whom identified as Black, Latina, Indigenous, 
or who are from low-income or first-generation college students. And as they point out, the biggest hurdles many women and other underrepresented groups in tech face when they try to get their foot in the door are access and experience. So typically students who support themselves are unable to sacrifice a paycheck for an unpaid extracurricular educational opportunity. And so Breakthrough Tech AI will be giving a stipend to each student to support their participation in the program. So yeah, if you're a college undergraduate student and you are you want to learn more about AI, artificial intelligence, this is a great opportunity. Yeah, great opportunity. A recent piece on NPR's Marketplace highlighted how the tech pipeline can be diversified by looking for experience over college degrees. We have heard this before. Um, but Papia DeBroy of the nonprofit Opportunity at Work says, quote, when an employer requires a bachelor's degree, they're screening out almost 70% of our Black workforce, almost 80% of our Hispanic workforce, and they also screen out about 75% of our rural workforce, end quote. We spoke about this a bit in last month's podcast episode about how tech companies are saying they want to change their hiring practices, but how recent reports have indicated they're still just asking for CS degrees in order to apply. We also just talked about this with the White House executive order asking for agencies to look for skills-based versus college degrees when they're hiring. So this is obviously a larger trend. And if companies and the federal agencies continue to go into the skills-based hiring, it does sound like it will diversify the workforce. Absolutely. And ZDNet explored how Middle East nations have been scaling up the region's IT and tech workforce. And they gave a lot of really good examples of this. Um, so I just wanted to share a few of them. One is Tuwake Academy's launch in Saudi Arabia, where over 1,000 candidates were trained on the Google Machine Learning API and Google Workspace, alongside leadership training that talked about agile development and design thinking. Another example is the Google Developer Experts, the GDEs network in MENA, which has grown over the past few years from 19 to 33 experts. In 2021, this cohort trained over 150,000 developers on advanced technologies. And then also in uh, February, Apple opened its first all-female developer academy in Riyadh, and Microsoft was active in the UAE's One Million Arab Coders initiative that closed last year. On top of all of that, just a few more examples, IBM, Cisco, Meta, and other Silicon Valley companies are supporting Coders HQ, which is a new UAE-led project that is designed to create a community of coders. And then finally, in Lebanon, SE Factory launched in 2015, which provides 14-week boot camps to bridge the gap between graduate skill sets and industry needs. So a lot going on in the Middle East um, wow. and Northern African countries. Yeah, absolutely. That's really, awesome. So we'll keep an eye on those. And for anyone whose primary language is not English, learning how to code can be difficult since coding language is based on English vocabulary and syntax. Primitivo Roman Montero had this exact struggle when he was learning how to code, and it actually inspired him to create Lenguaje Latino, an open source programming language based on Spanish to help new coders who speak Spanish grasp coding basics. The nonprofit journalism org called Rest of the World says that while the English language has been a prereq for anyone looking to launch a coding career, even if you were launching a coding career outside of an English speaking country, 
with the current need to find tech talent to fill so many open positions in Latin America, innovators like Montero and coding boot camps like Laboratoria are trying to change that. So we've certainly seen many new boot camps opening up in Latin America over the past year or so. And we're interested to see how the tech world there will change over time from possibly being primarily English language driven in their coding and also in their work culture to one that places equal emphasis on Spanish language knowledge and coding. All right, Jess, well, we saw many coding boot camps expanding their programs this month, and we added a few new boot camps to our directory yeah. this month. Let's start off with some of those new partnerships and expansions. Totally. So Full Stack Academy continues to make new partnerships. Um, it announced partnerships with Utah State University and the University of Oklahoma, and both of these schools will now be offering product management training. And Bloom Institute of Technology, which was formerly Lambda School, had a press release this month about its new career flow learning experience. That new career flow program sounds like a self-paced type of experience where classes are held live online with flexible scheduling. Yeah, interesting for, for their school. And as Liz said, we added five new boot camps to the course report school listings this May. So we added Tech Sales Bootcamp Bluebird, UX Design Bootcamp Nukumi Digital, and Data Analytics Bootcamp LearnBay. And we added Web3 Bootcamp Matana and the University of Maryland Global Campus Bootcamps, which are powered by Springboard. So Welcome to those five new schools. And if you've attended any of these, you can now leave a review on the Course Report School page. All right, Jess, well, let's wrap up this May podcast episode by talking about our favorite pieces to work on. Jess, what was your favorite piece to work on in May? So I got to speak with Celia Fryer, who is an expert data analyst and an instructor at General Assembly. And we spoke about three careers that transition well into the data analytics field. First off, Celia is such an incredible resource for all things related to data analytics. General Assembly is so lucky to have her on their instructional staff. She's just a total asset to the team. So Celia says that musicians, teachers, and realtors all have the right kind of skills that easily transition into a data analytics role. Um, Celia also breaks down how GA's data analytics course is equipping students from all kinds of backgrounds, even people who don't come from a STEM background and giving them the skills that they need to actually land mid-level data analytics positions. So this is a really great piece and definitely check it out if you've been thinking about moving into some kind of data career. Data analytics is a great way to start. I love that one, Jess. It was very actionable. I feel like if you are a musician, a teacher, or mm -hmm. a realtor, you know what your next uh, career move could be. And um, I, I just wanted to use this time to remind everyone that our next alumni live Q&A is coming up. It's on June 8th. And Jess and I are going to be joined by five alumni from boot camps like General Assembly, Digital Crafts, Savio, Springboard, and Coding Temple to answer the question, what I wish I knew before a coding boot camp. This is something that we always ask the alumni that we interview, you know, what do you wish you knew? What would you have done differently? I know this is going to be a super interesting and fruitful mm -hmm. conversation, and we will include a link to RSVP in this blog post. 
yeah, definitely. You won't want to miss it if you've been considering going to some kind of coding bootcamp. And that does it for our May podcast. So thank you so much for tuning in on this episode. Keep checking in on Course Report for the latest about online and in-person bootcamp opportunities. And we'll see you next month on our June Coding Bootcamp News Roundup. Yes, and we love feedback. So email Jess and I your thoughts at hello at coursereport.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please help other future boot campers find it by going to iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you're listening and subscribing to the Course Report podcast and leaving us a review. We'll see you in June. See you in June. Bye.